December determines the health of your heart. December is spiritual health month. Did you realize that? And the reason I know is because many of us are making some of the most important giving decisions of the year. And the reason we know that is our church takes in about 25% of its budget during the month of December. You know, Jesus said, where we put our money, our heart follows. And that seems counterintuitive. We'd think that, you know, it's where our heart is and then money would follow, but that's not true. And so during the month of December, as we give, we're actually making these heart, heart shaping decisions. Lori and I did this. We automatically give, but at the end of the year in December, we sit down and we reflect on all that God's given us, his blessings, how much he's loved us. And we look at what he's done over the year and then we make additional giving decisions and it is so exciting. And I love what it does for our, our hearts. And so my question to you is, are you where you want to be in your heart? Is your heart healthy? Is it where you want it to be? Um, how healthy is your heart? Now, I know that some of you haven't even begun your spiritual journey of giving. And really, this is the best time of the year to reflect and to jump in and to look back and say, look at all of God's blessings. What do I want to do? And it's not important how much. It's much more important that you just take your first step. And for others of us, I mean, we've taken our first step, maybe our second, but giving really is a lifelong journey. And we always get the privilege of looking back over the year and saying, God, what have you done for us this year? And how do we want to respond? And because we're all making these decisions, I'd like to give you just three thoughts to think and pray about as you are making these heart-shaping decisions in the month of December. The first one is the promise that God gives. God says, I'm going to give you more than you need. In fact, I'm going to bless you in every way so that in all times, in all situations, you can always be generous. And when you give, he says, you, you need to know that I am going to open up the gates of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. You won't even be able to, to handle it. God's saying, I'm going to enrich your life in every way, in relationships and love and opportunities and grace and favor so that you are going to be a person that's overwhelmed by God's blessing. And I want you to know that I've experienced it. Lori and I, for 42 years on this journey, are amazed at how God blesses us over and over and over again. The second thought that I want you to think about is you live in Orange County and living in Orange County means that materialism is around us. And Jesus warned that materialism is toxic to our heart. It is a virus that actually damages our hearts. And the only thing that really is a vaccine that keeps us safe is generosity. And so one of the things that we want to do is to be generous, to protect our hearts. And the third thing is generosity really is the birthplace of joy and meaning. When we give, we get to join God in the work that he's doing in the world today through his church. We get to share the wonderful kindness and love of God through the church and all the activities that you've heard about that we're doing. And then also we get to show God's love as we extend his love to the lost, the forgot, forgotten, the marginalized, the people who are on the, the edge. And so we wanna show and we wanna share God's love. And so I love giving to our church. I mean, we get to see it leveraged in so many ways through volunteers. God is doing so many great things. And so in this year end, 
as you make heart shaping decisions, they're the most important decisions of your life. And so I want to pray for you at this time. So God, would you help us during this season trust you? It's always uncertain times. We never know what's going to happen. But we know that giving is an act of faith. And as we give to you, it is our way of saying we trust you and we believe that you will continue to provide and you will bless us and you will enrich our lives in every way. So God, during this season, help us make courageous decisions that shape our heart. All right, we are in a series on Christmas. And you know, one of the things that I need to remind myself every year uh, during this time is that there are two holidays being celebrated at the same time and they go by the same name, Christmas. And there is a secular Christmas and there is a sacred Christmas that's being celebrated kind of simultaneously. Now, sacred Christmas is big and loud and it's kind of overwhelming and it's got lights and trees and decorations. Uh, there's family gatherings, there's gift giving, there's songs, you know, white Christmas, have a holly jolly Christmas, a merry little Christmas. Uh, and it's a wonderful celebration and there's all sorts of good things to it, but it's loud and noisy and big and it intensifies everything. If there are good things happening in your life, you've got young kids, uh, you're newly married, uh, you've got a job. I mean, it just intensifies the joy and the gratitude that you have in this season. But at the same time, it intensifies the pain of the season. If your family can't get together, or if there's brokenness and broken relationships in your family, or if there's been a loss or you've lost your job, the, the pain and the sadness is intensified by the secular uh, celebration of Christmas. And we feel more alone and lost. But the second holiday that goes by the same name Christmas is the sacred Christmas. And that is where we're celebrating this powerful truth that God loves us and he came near. And it has songs that we sing at church that are powerful and they're celebrating. And while it's quieter, the message is life transforming. And what I've found in my own life is that I literally daily need to have reminders. So I read the story, uh, the Christmas story through the four gospels, different days. And I take time reflecting and journaling to remind myself, what are the truths of this sacred Christmas that I celebrate? And that's why I love that you're here watching with us today, because what we're going to do is look at the message of Christmas. Specifically, we're going to look at the angel song that is in Luke chapter two, which talks about this incredible gift of peace that we have. Now, the gift of peace is what's promised in the Old Testament. Look at what it says in Isaiah 9. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named, and obviously one of the names, Prince of Peace. So this is the big promise all through the Old Testament. And then in Luke 2, the story we're going to look at, it, the angel song, here it is. They sing, the angels sing, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. So this is the angel song. So we all want peace. We, we need peace more than we even understand. And as you think about, well, how do we find peace? I think there's three roads and theories to find and discover peace in the world today. Spiritualist, uh, secular people will say that the way that you find peace is by removing things in your life. You've got to remove negative thoughts, You've got to distance yourself from toxic people. You've got to divorce yourself from things that bring anxiety. And 
you know, we could all use a little bit more discipline and separate ourselves from things that are toxic and negative, and that would be valuable. But at the same time, we've got to be real. We can't separate ourselves. We live in a broken world that has infinite amounts of negativity and toxicity. It's just not possible to find peace by removing things out of our life. The other way that people will say we find peace is by following the rules. What you need to do is just be good, try harder. And if you please God and are really religious and good, then you're going to find peace. But you can't find peace that way. In fact, my experience as a pastor is where that leads to is bitter disappointment and anger and frustration. And in truth, the only way that we can find peace is found in this story that we're going to look at. Not by removing, uh, not by trying harder, but peace is a gift from God and it is found in this first story. So we're going to look at it in Luke chapter 2, which is probably the story that most people know most about Christmas. You'll want to read it on Christmas Day. So here's the Christmas story told by Luke in chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing, governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered each to his hometown. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Two things that don't normally go together. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, while we read this, and typically there is a uh, sense of serenity and beauty, uh, there's nothing beautiful about this story at all. The gift of peace came in a messy time to people whose lives were incredibly messy, and it was a messy place. When you look at this story, first, it was a messy time. God's people are living under the iron fist of Rome, and there's terrible oppression. And while it says is there's a census that has to be taken, you know why they're taking a census? to increase everyone's taxes. And historians tell us that people now are gonna be taxed from 75 to 80%. And for that, they don't get safety. They don't get a justice system. They don't get schools. It, all of their money just went to Rome. So they're being impoverished by this. So you can imagine the discussions that are going on. People hate this and they're angry and there's frustration. I mean, you think there's frustration today. <laughs> So much more frustration in that day. It was a messy time and people felt forgotten by God. Secondly, they're messy people. It says that Mary was pledged to be married and she was pregnant. This, they, Mary and Joseph lived in a shame honor society. And the amount of shame that this would have brought on their family and their community was overwhelming. They would have been ostracized by everyone in their community. And as a result of that, uh, you can imagine just beginning a relationship. Joseph feels so betrayed uh, when Mary says that she's pregnant and he is so confused that God has to send an angel just to get his feet underneath him. But this is no way to begin a relationship. And so the, the first couple, they, it's just a messy relationship. They're messed up. And then also Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem. And this is 
the hometown of Joseph. This is where all of his relatives live. And no one in a culture that valued hospitality, none of his extended family would even offer a place for them. A young couple, she's pregnant and she's going to give birth. No one would even offer a room in their home because to let them in their house would bring shame on them and they just wouldn't do it. And so they thought literally it was better for them just to go away. And so it's a, a messy place. And literally, Mary gives birth in a stable that is smelly. It is brutal. There is nothing magical and serene about this. It is painful. But what it says really, and what I love about Christmas, is that God is not intimidated by the mess of our lives. It doesn't matter how messed up we are or messed up the times are, or even in the place that we live, God is not pushed away by the messiness of our lives. I mean, think about it. How many of you would say that my life or an area of my life has got, gotten a little messy? Maybe at work, maybe with your family, your relationships in your marriage or with your siblings or with your kids or with your parents. Uh, maybe it's in finances or choices that you made. Maybe your school life has just gotten messed up. And in that, you know, you'd go, yeah, all right, my life's a little messy. Or how many of you would say, well, I don't think my life is messy, but I think the people that live with me, their life is pretty messed up. But the good news is this, that I don't have to clean up my life for God to come near. In fact, Christmas is God's judgment on our inability to clean up our lives. I mean, God would never show up as Jesus becoming flesh, that Jesus would never become a baby in a manger if we could fix our own problems. I mean, he would never have to show up in this world the way that he did. But it shows that there is no way that we could fix ourselves. We could not solve our spiritual problems. And so he comes and then he brings this gift of peace. So now watch because the angels are going to sing about this gift of peace. But let's look at what it is. In Luke 2, verses 8 through 15. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then the angel, then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, what angels always say, anytime an angel show up, what do they say? Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Then suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, so now here is the angel song. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Then when the angels had left them and they returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Here in this passage, the angels say, fear not, which is what they always say. And that's the message of Christmas. You do not have to live in fear. You don't have to be afraid. And the second news is they say, we bring you good news of great joy. And so it's good news. And good news cannot be try harder, be better, be good for goodness sake, do your best. That's not good news. That's just more news. 
And then he says, it's good news for all the people. This is good news, not just for religious people, not for good people, not people who have their life together, not for rich people. It's good news for all the people. He says, today in the city of David, a savior is born. He is the Messiah. Messiah is the promised one in the Old Testament, the Lord, the one who's coming to our rescue. And here's the sign. He says, you're going to see a baby in a manger. We're going to come back to that because that's critical. And then there's the song, the angels sing, glory to God in the highest. The thing that is important to remember about Christmas is that God gets all the glory. We don't get any of the glory. It's not our story about something that we do. It's a story of what God does. Christmas is what God is doing for us. Glory to God in the highest. And then what we get, this incredible gift, Peace. Peace is available. We can experience God's peace, but the only way we can experience God's peace is through God's grace, through God's favor. Peace, you've actually probably know the word, a Hebrew word, shalom. You've heard it. And what that word means is there's nothing broken, nothing missing. You know, you can't have peace. If you've ever looked at a jigsaw puzzle and there's just one piece missing, it drives you crazy. Something's missing. There is no peace. And then when something's broken, it doesn't work right. There is no peace. But it's mostly a relational term. When we're broken relationally, there is no shalom. There is no peace. And what it's saying is, is that what happened is we all have broken relationship with God, with ourselves, and with each other. Something's missing. Something's broken. And this is, this is our core need. Our core need in what gives our life meaning and purpose is connection. It is me, it is the belonging, it is love and relationship. And it's not just the Bible who says it. In fact, it doesn't matter who you talk to. You can talk to mental health experts. You can talk to neurobiologists, psychologists, sociologists. You talk to pastors. Our core need is to belong, to be connected into relationship, to experience this sense of shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. And when we don't experience, when there's heartbreak, uh, when, there, when we feel that we've been excluded, when there's disconnection, alienated from the people that we love, there's no peace, there is no shalom. And we know this, we've all experienced it in life and there's nothing more heartbreaking than a lack of peace. Uh, over Thanksgiving, we have four sons, four families, you know, they're five to try to get them all together. And so one couldn't make it. And so Lori's coordinating with our other, uh, the other four, the other three families. And so one of them's coming in from Texas and a couple of them are pregnant. And so Lori's trying to manage, trying to get her family together. And in that, one of the sons got bumped around a little bit and she didn't talk to him as clearly. And so the plans were made and he felt a little bit excluded. And so Lori and he had a conversation and it, it, it did not go well. And in a very few sentences, they, it just exploded. I mean, with the tension of COVID and all the pressure that's going on just in families, I mean, it went south in a hurry and it whoosh and it just, it just spread. And finally, the son said, we're not coming to Thanksgiving. So Lori is off the phone and she is just bursting in tears. And for two days, she cried uh, because there was no shalom. There was no peace. Something was broken. 
something was missing and the pain that she experienced. It didn't matter what good was in her life. That lack of shalom, it overwhelmed everything in her life. It was all that she could see. Now they worked it out and ultimately our son came, but that was a painful experience. And the truth is all of us have experienced it somewhere in our life. Some people in devastating ways and it has damaged us for our life. Some of us are pretty sure that shalom isn't even possible. And the reason is, is because a long time ago in your childhood, uh, there was chaos and pain. And when you needed your parents, they just weren't even available. And so to survive, you just pulled away. You pulled away from everyone. And you thought that there was something was wrong with you. Uh, you, you thought that you weren't enough. You thought there wasn't enough love in the world. And so you're pretty sure that peace isn't even a possibility. And then others, you know, you thought because things were confusing to you, if you performed and you were good enough and you were, you were perfect, if you could just earn it, then there would be shalom and there would be connection and belonging and have a sense of worthiness in your life. But as a result, you only ended up hiding and pretending and pro uh, projecting an image that wasn't even your, you. And so as a result, there's no peace in your life. And then others believed it was possible. I mean, you went out there and you had a heart that you say, I'm going to let someone know me. And so you let someone know you and they loved you. And then they betrayed you in the most painful way. And as a result of that, you concluded the cost of relationship is just too much. You know what? I'm not going to try to belong. I'm not going to try to have this connection. Forget it. All of us know what it's like to live without peace, that loneliness and pain and the sadness in our life. But all of it comes from the brokenness in our primary relationship. It is because we lost the most important relationship that we were created to have, the relationship with our Heavenly Father. And when we lost that, we lost that sense of peace and it ruined our relationship with ourselves and ultimately others. When we were created, we lived in a perfect place and we lived with shalom. We lived in a loving relationship with our heavenly father, with ourselves and with others. But here's what you need to understand. And you know, it's true. What we did is we wanted life on our own terms. We did not want to trust God. And as a result of our selfishness, we destroyed the shalom that is the core need in our life. The way to illustrate it, the way to think of it is, you know, the, all of us know this. When we were 12 to 15 years old, at some point in our life, we folded our arms and we said to our parents, there will be no peace in this house. And why did we do it? We looked at our parents and said, you know, <laughs> there's going to be no peace. Why? Because they said no to us. They said, no, you can't stay out as late as you want. No, you can't have the house to yourself. No, you can't go and take the car. Uh, no, you know, you, you just can't do what you want. Basically, they created some kind of boundaries. And we thought, basically, as kids, if our parents would just give us what we wanted, there would be peace. I mean, there would be shalom. But our parents knew that without boundaries, there is no love. And they knew that when they said no, it would create hostility and there would be pain in the house. But their love was just too strong to go along. 
And that's what happened with us and God. God's love was too strong to go along. And so when we wanted our own way and we basically folded our arms and God and said, look at just God, just give me what I want and there will be peace. God knew that that wouldn't be good for us. God knew that it actually would destroy us. God knew that it would create hostility, but he knew that it would destroy ourselves. Look at what it says in Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sin. God did not create sin. God created people. And what we did is we introduced sin because we said, God, I want life on my terms. I want my way. And that is what's killing us. And it's what destroyed our shalom. It broke our relationship with God. But here is the best news. God loved us too much to leave us broken and with this thing missing. And this is the message of Christmas, that God came to our world to save us, to restore peace, to restore the broken relationship, to restore what was missing in our lives. But then what's the cost of peace? And what I want you to see is there's two huge costs of peace. First, God had to humble himself. And secondly, God had to sacrifice because we're going to talk about how we experience peace and you're going to see it's the same road. What God did in Jesus is what we have to do to experience peace. So what's the cost to peace? First of all, it's humility. Look at what it says. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in a cloth and lying in a manger. The most amazing truth in Christmas that's almost, it's almost impossible to believe is that God loved us so much that he would come to this earth. But even more amazing, he didn't just come as God, he became human, he became like us so that he could, we could understand him and we could see him, he wanted to be with us. But what is absolutely unbelievable, isn't that God came, that God came as a human, but we would expect that he would come as a powerful warrior, a, you know, a, an emperor, as a king. But what's most shocking about the Christmas story is that God comes as a baby in a manger, vulnerable and weak in a time literally when Herod sets out to kill babies, God shows up as a baby. Why? Because that is the cost of relationship. It is the cost of connection. God chooses to be vulnerable, to not be safe when there's no guarantees. He, he knows that for us, that for us to believe that God really understands us, that he has to enter our world and our pain. He's got to be vulnerable and weak and small so that we have a God who understands us. And the cost of relationship is that vulnerability, that honesty. And so God enters our world as a baby. Vulnerability, that is humility. And then it requires sacrifice. Not only did he become a baby, but ultimately he becomes a savior on the cross. In Romans 5, it says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we've been made right uh, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For if while we were sinners... We were enemies. We were reconciled to God <clears throat> through the death of his son. We will be saved by his life. 
What it says here <coughs> is that we were justified. We were made right in God's eyes. And so we have peace with God. There is shalom. Well, how did he do it? Jesus went to the cross first as a baby, but then what he did is not only that, but he went to the cross and he reconciled us. He restored our relationship. He brought peace. What was broken is mended. What is missing is now made right. And he gives us peace. And how does that happen? He does that through faith. When we believe in Jesus, we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he would do. We have peace. So the question is, have you made your peace with God? Well, how do you make your peace with God? Look at what it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, <clears throat> Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with his mouth, resulting in salvation. So have you made your peace with God? What does that mean? It means that you confess that Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he said he would do. That Jesus, who was God, became human. Even more than that, he didn't just become human. He became a baby in a manger saying there's no place he wouldn't go. There's nothing that he wouldn't do. But even more than that, that baby grew up and he became a savior who died on the cross. He died in our place so that we can be forgiven and we can be reconciled with our heavenly father. So have you made your peace with God? Because when you make your peace with God, you say, I believe that Jesus, you are who you say you are. That peace with God paves the way for you to experience personal peace in your life. Uh, the way that we experience personal peace is the same journey that Jesus went through. Humility and sacrifice. He models it for in our life. So what does it take? Well, humility. I have to admit that I can't save myself, that I need Jesus to forgive me, which is a very humbling thing. I have to live in humble dependence on a savior. And so I let go of shame and guilt in my failure. That's a humble thing. And then secondly, I embrace God's love for me. And it takes humility to do that. God loves me for who I am. I'm not perfect. I haven't figured it out, but he loves me just as I am. It wasn't that I earned it. I didn't deserve it. He loves me. And so I embrace honesty and vulnerability and the freedom to be who I am. It's hard to be human. It is really hard to be human because we're broken people and, and we never do what we say that we're going to do. It's hard to be human. And that's the humility that we need because we live in humble dependence on God saying, I need you. I need your grace. That's how we experience peace. Look at what it says in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. How do I experience that peace? I humble myself. I embrace humility. God, I can't. I can't, but I know you can and you love me. And even though I'm wonderfully human, I don't have to perform for your love. I don't have to earn your love. You love me. And then the second is sacrifice. It is surrender. We say, God, it's your will, not my will. That's the only way we experience peace. We can't just accept his salvation and then say, now I get to live the way that I want to live. We can't look at a savior who humbled himself, stepped down and surrendered, thinking that we get to live a life of stepping up and stepping over and hurting others. No, we have to surrender and say, God, it's not my will. 
It's your will. I'm going to live the way that I was designed to live. I'm going to live within your boundaries. That's where we experience personal peace. So my peace with God paves the way to personal peace. And then what it does is it equips me to be a peacemaker in the world. How does it equip me? Well, Jesus told a story about a man who had an unpayable debt. He had literally accumulated millions and millions of dollars that was unpayable. And the king called him in and said, now you need to pay the debt that you have. And he couldn't do it. And so the king said, okay, I'm going to throw you in jail along with your wife and your children until you can pay your debt. So he cries out and he says, please just give me time and I'll pay it, which he couldn't have done. But amazingly, the king doesn't just give him time. The king forgives the debt. He says, you're forgiven. And so then Jesus says, this guy goes out and he finds a coworker who owns, who owes him just a few hundred dollars, a payable debt. But the guy just doesn't have it right then and right now. And he says, you know, please be patient with me. I'll pay what I owe you. And this evil guy says, no. And he throws him in jail. Jesus says, what do you think that king's going to do? And everybody's going, that guy's wrong. And that's the whole point. Jesus says in this passage is that we need to be people who are forgiving. And when we don't forgive, we literally are locking ourselves in a jail of bitterness and resentment. And we're keeping ourselves away from experience God's incredible love. See, when we understand what God's done for us, humility says we have been forgiven an unpayable debt it's automatically easy for us to move and to be peacemakers because we forgive those who hurt us. And yeah, people will hurt us. I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna offend us. They're gonna say things about us. They're gonna betray us. And you know what Jesus says about every one of those debts? They're just $100 debts. I mean, they're payable. They're not, they're not this unpayable debt. And yes, it hurts. And the sacrifice means that we've got to feel weak and vulnerable when we forgive and say just, you know, humility. I was the million and million dollar debtor. I had a debt that I couldn't pay. But sacrifice says, and so I'm going to forgive others because I have been forgiven. And, you know, to forgive somebody doesn't mean that, you know, you let them take advantage of you or you get abused by them. It just means that you extend the forgiveness that God's given to you. Forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. It takes two people to reconcile. But forgiveness means that you say, you know what? I'm not going to hold it over you. I'm not going to think that I'm better than you. I am going to forgive you for whatever you did to me because as great as it feels and as painful as it is, what God did for me was so much greater, so much greater. And so I'm going to extend forgiveness to you. Look at what it says in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God. And so there is peace. And so you go, well, okay. So there's peace. We can extend peace. We work for peace in relationships. We work for peace in society. You go, but, but there isn't peace. Well, there is peace. There's peace with God. And so we can have personal peace and then we can have peace in relationships. But we look at the world and they go, but there's still wars and terrorism and division and cruelty and oppression. What about that? I mean, the angels announced peace on earth. What about that peace? Uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow captured the essence of uh, what I'm saying as he wrote a, a Christmas hymn in 1863. And when he wrote it, his wife had died. 
there was a civil war. His son had been injured in the war. And he, uh, he wrote these words. He said, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And he writes a couple stanza about this idea of the angel song, peace on earth and goodwill to men. But as he reflects on it, there's a civil war and there's pain and families are divided. And towards the end of the song, he writes, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. He laments that there are wars and there is evil and there is no peace. But then as he reflects, he realizes, but there is this promise of peace. In his finest, final stanza, he says, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. You see, when Jesus came in the first Christmas, what he did, is he brought the peace of God so that we can experience personal peace in our lives and we can extend that relationally and we can be peacemakers. But now we are the people of Advent, meaning we are the people that are in the Christmas story. And just like the first people who kept looking for a savior to come and bring peace, what Jesus did at his first coming, what we do is we say, oh, Jesus, come and come again. Because when Jesus comes in the second Christmas, the second Advent, what he says is he will bring ultimate peace. And that's what the angels announce. Ultimately, everything will be made right. And we will sing with the angels, peace on earth. Because in the past, God has brought peace. In the present, God, we can live in peace and we can work for peace. But in the future, one day there will be peace. So look at what it says in Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. What does it mean for the peace of God to rule in your hearts? I'll tell you. It means that you celebrate the message of the sacred Christmas. You don't get lost in the noise of the secular Christmas. We need to remember the most important things. And Jesus gave us a way to remember. And he's saying, you're gonna forget Christmas. You're gonna forget that I was God and I gave up my position in heaven and I came to earth and I didn't just come, but I became human like you and didn't just become human like you to be with you, but I became a baby in a manger. I took on flesh and blood. You're gonna forget that. And do you know what happens when we forget? We let the noise of the secular Christmas drown out the power of what is sacred Christmas. We forget that Jesus loves us. We, the sadness, the pain of this world, we start to think and we go, you know what? No one understands what I'm going through with COVID. No one understands the pain and the sorrow in my life. God can't understand the pain and the sadness of what I'm going through in my life. But when you stop and remember Christmas, you realize that God was born as a baby in Bethlehem in obscurity and in poverty when Herod was killing babies when he had no guarantees. He grew up, his father died at a young age. He was betrayed. I mean, he knows the sadness of this world. He knows the pain of this world. When we forget that Jesus died on the cross, we think that we've got to earn it. We've got to deserve it. We've got to try harder for God's love. 
We start to hide and pretend that we're better than us. When we forget that Jesus died for our sins, we live in fear. We need to remember during this Christmas season that God loved us, so he came near. And we now are people who are waiting for him to return. Okay, hold out your hands and receive God's blessing. Father, look at your children. They love you. And would you give them the joy that the angels announced, that there is great joy for all the people that born to us this day in the city of David, a savior, and he is Christ the Lord. And the angels sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And so God, this week, would you give to your children peace, the shalom, where nothing's broken, nothing's missing. We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in God's grace. Well, it's Christmas, and there is nothing that helps us celebrate this sacred Christmas more than our Christmas Eve services. And they're Eve, Eve, and Eve. We have so many of them. We have Christmas services online, but we have Christmas services all over Orange County. And so go online and see to our website all the different places that you can experience it live and you can invite your friends because the music is great. It's gonna be spectacular. If you can't join us, be sure and watch us online and you can see all of the opportunities you have there. But you wanna be with us. You've got to celebrate Christmas. It's what we need in this difficult, challenging times where the days are filled with anxiety. So join us. It's gonna be a great time, right? And you'll have a great time with your family.